India charts the truth about the markets. Hi everyone, this is the 5th of February 2019 and everyone is warped with the question as we sit here right between the union budget and the RBI policy as to when the Nifty is going to break out of this range and which side is it going to be headed. The broad markets sell-off has been one of the biggest that we've probably seen in a long, long time. And we've probably never seen anything like this where, you know, 80 to 90% of stocks are way, way down, uh, are all selling off, but a handful of them are keeping the Nifty at the same place for months to come. So when is this break going to happen? I think uh, every day that the time is running out and it, the final event is closer than ever. The key signals that still stay with us is, of course, apart from the broad-based market decline, is the rising dollar, the rising US DNR, rising bond yields. All of these macro risks continue to be on the table each and every day as we watch markets for a clear direction. On the other hand, the key debate of the day is where will interest rates go because we are ahead of an RBI policy. Hope is that they will raise uh, not raise interest rates, but actually start cutting them, if not at least signal a weakening cycle. But the real impact on the market will really come from the size of what they do, because if it's simply a signal uh, or a small move uh, in the direction of lower rates, it might actually lead to a weakening market similar to what it did in 2012 and 2015, because weakening cycles are just first step an acceptance that we have a problem and after that we start moving in the direction of taking further steps and further rate cuts uh, as the weakening scenario simply continues and eventually gets stimulated to a turnaround. That is what we have seen in the past. Will that be the case again? My sense is probably yes because an immediate cut or at least some cut would weaken the currency and that would therefore have a reverse impact possibly on the bond market itself. So this is an open debate. People are also discussing whether you should look at core inflation or whether you should look at uh, CPI because earlier the uh, whole issue was with uh, food and fuel infl inflation and because food inflation has cooled off and oil prices are down, now we're actually seeing the risk of core inflation and should we even discuss that in a country like India. So this debate goes on when you had one issue you were saying that the other one is an issue now you have the other issue you're saying the other one is the issue what is the real issue here and the real issue if you listen to my indian economic cycles studies uh, has always been about where we are in the credit cycle so this weekend i was at traders carnival i've spoken about that in detail i've published a, a recent updated report on the uh, indian economic winter uh, at india chart so you can go and read that but beyond that uh, the key issues, I think, uh, which I highlighted, I was, uh, you know, pretty amazed that it was pretty well taken by the crowd. But of course, this was a trader's carnival. I would have expected a lot more debate on things like bond yields or, uh, you know, the GDP uh, growth cycles or maybe various other issues as to what would drive growth if, it, if this was uh, an investment summit. Uh, because uh, as I use uh, Elliott Wave Analysis in combination with economic cycles and business cycles, uh, I walk right into their territory and uh, that can uh, uh, create a good amount of fervor. So that would have been fun in its own way. Uh, but like I said, it got well taken, but there are two issues that uh, really cropped up. And so I'll really talk about them uh, and some things that I couldn't really address because of the time. One of them, which should have been clear, uh, but I didn't specifically say, is that the Indian cycle is approximately 10 years behind the US cycle. Now, let's just understand 
that uh, if I say that India is into an economic winter, it means we are coming at the end of autumn. And the autumn business cycle is essentially one of expansion in credit on the back of consumption, uh, consumer credit. Uh, it also may involve the expansion of corporate uh, credit. Uh, but in the previous cycle, which is prior to summer, it's mostly corporate credit that actually grows and expands, uh, not the consumer credit. So that's the big difference. And now uh, in the autumn cycle, since consumption is always the biggest theme at the end of it, uh, credit levels reach a high enough plateau where they can no more create growth, which is why we are seeing nominal GDP growth rates fall year after year over the last five years. And the question is, how can we stimulate growth? My answer is, uh, it will have to be the government that will turn around and have to start spending into the economy in a big way. But if we look at this budget, uh, as long as the focus remains on winning elections and more money goes into social sector rather than direct investment growth, uh, that's uh, unlikely to be the case, uh, even though the government may say we are spending on uh, the spending itself will spur growth. Uh, the issue remains that most of that spending, if it is only going to spur some kind of consumption demand, it continues in the same direction as it has in the past. And therefore, the rest of the economy remains uh, untouched. Uh, and the rest of the economy is essentially where a large part of the corporate credit uh, has expanded exponentially. There's a limit to how much you can, can consume, uh, uh, you know, uh, unless you keep uh, growing credit. And the credit to GDP ratio for the last four years since 2014 has actually not gone up at all. So that's the big surprise number. Uh, people would think it would have been growing because uh, credit is actually at least bank credit growth has picked up this year. So banking credit did uh, show an uptick, but a large part of that credit is also in the second half gone to funding simply the NBFC sector, which has been troubled with liquidity issues. So uh, in a nutshell, uh, this is not happening. I think there are two uh, other counter arguments that I could face, uh, which I actually hear from some people. One of them is that because of a long period of no expansion, it means that the capacity utilization that exists in the Indian, uh, uh, you know, uh, productivity uh, would get utilized uh, and eventually more capex would have to come in. I don't know when exactly, but then that takes into the thought that, uh, you know, demand would keep growing year after year. Uh, the other one is that uh, probably our debt to equity for the corporate sector uh, will hit uh, extreme low in the next couple of years because uh, a lot of them are beginning, beginning the process of unwinding credit. Now, here's the thing that when it comes to the credit cycle, one of the reasons growth does not happen is that credit does not expand. And when I say for the last four years, you don't have an expansion in credit to GDP, it's essentially telling you just that that credit is not expansion expanding in relationship to gdp uh, because there is no demand for that additional uh, uh, on the face of that additional growth which means that we've reached a point where uh, incremental uh, growth in credit is not causing uh, gdp growth at the same pace and so you need something new to happen and that new thing would essentially be the government stepping in in a much bigger way on non social spending so that becomes the trick and catch and that's unlikely to happen anytime soon and since we are you know directing ourselves towards more social spending at least for the time being it puts a tight handle on budget and if you really do expanding that then you're looking at much higher interest rates and not much lower interest rates so how do you manage this entire bond market cycle towards lower rates uh, when you actually need to be spending much more on the economy the only way it happens is you actually go through uh, credit write down, you call it a reset, you call it whatever name you want, uh, which is something that we are doing in its own slow way. Because if you hear, uh, we are hearing about the banking sector having 
you know, re- uh, recovered almost uh, two to three lakh crores worth of you know money from non-performing assets. At the same time, the government having funded another two lakh crores worth of uh, assets, and that would sound like as though five lakh crores have actually gone back to the banks, and they would have enough money to lend again. Uh, although a lot of that would simply be recapitalization uh, towards existing losses, and they would therefore need that final additional capital to start lending. That said. Uh, when you are talking of a contraction in credit, uh, which means uh, through repayment, co- recovering of uh, non-performing assets, you are really not talking about credit expansion, but you are talking of credit contraction. Even if simultaneously you have an expansion in bank credit growth, but at the on the other hand you are repaying uh, non-performing loans, the net impact uh, could get nullified. So in a sense, uh, we are looking at. Uh, credit actually not growing and as long as that does not happen in an economic system which uh, not just ours but around the world every economy is following a credit cycle based uh, system uh, and that's how it has been for you know uh, centuries together uh, money has been the main driver of economic expansion and if that's not expanding uh, on a net basis then economic growth uh, can't really take off so that's the uh, simple take uh, but still uh why shouldn't we keep trying and the rbi is now spending uh, not the normal uh, one and a half day but two entire days pushing their meeting announcements from tomorrow afternoon to thursday morning uh, and uh, it would sound like uh, all that time is going to be going into convincing now what is uh, a committee rather than one person who would uh, you know make the final decision the entire committee needs to be convinced that interest rates need to be reduced uh, and only when once that is done uh, that uh, you really see policy uh, action in that direction uh, in any case i guess uh, they would uh, try uh, to at least change their uh, language but like i said if it's simply uh, baby steps towards the eventuality uh, then uh, it might not be an immediate stimulant and in the short term might actually end up being a negative so uh, we would have uh, two separate uh, uh, reasons why uh, the current situation where we have been facing slow earnings growth despite multi-year double-digit projections would simply continue into the future till something really dramatically changes. Uh, but that should not stop analysts from continuing to do their job of projecting double-digit growth year after year, which they have done for four years and getting it wrong and still very confident of getting it right eventually based on all the arguments that I've already given, would, which would have come counter to uh, what I have to say. But in the meantime, we are in a scenario where global uh, uh, dollar trends are up. I think even tonight I can see the dollar index is higher. The USDNR trend is already broken into a, into its next wave. And post the budget announcements, the bond markets also started to uh, point to higher bond yields. And so while all of that is happening, uh, I am not so sure how we can keep indicating uh, otherwise. And these remain active risks for our market. And with most of the market selling off with multiple downgrades happening in stocks, uh, if the Nifty is not yet reacting, it's probably only a matter of time. Uh, it's hard to believe that 90% of the market can be crashing and you have an index holding up on the back of four to five stocks, uh, which uh, from a normal study, technical or non-technical market understanding point is defined as simply one thing, mass distribution. I don't think I have a better word for it. This has been going on for more than a year. And since I'm calling it a super cycle top, I guess that's the reason why it is such a long process. Unlike previous market tops that came as spikes or had uh, not more than a one month lead lag between mid caps and large caps to a topping process, whether it's 1992, whether it's 2000, 
the tech bubble harshad mehta bubble ketan parekh avedh ritz 2008 all of these uh, ended pretty quickly uh, but the last 8 years has seen the nifty rise at a slower and slower pace and this last one year has been one massive distribution where 80 to 90% of the stocks more than 80% are below the 200 dma for the december quarter uh and that has not stopped we've actually broken down from a rising channel uh on the mid and small cap indices during this week in the last couple of days and so broad based selling has actually continued in fact the volumes in the last two days have actually shot up so if you look at the nifty and look at volumes and think that oh well nifty is breaking out on rising volumes those volumes did not come from index stocks at all in fact index stocks uh 90% of them show actually falling volumes yesterday i noted out of the sensex stocks only four or five were contributing to higher volumes the rest of them had lower volumes than the previous day today we did a similar check for nifty not more than 14 stocks i think were showing higher volumes than the previous day all of the others were showing lower volumes so the big volume spike that you're seeing in in the number of shares traded probably not in value terms uh over the last two days uh which is actually a multi month high Uh, is on the back of extreme selling that is taking place in stocks mostly the mid and i wouldn't say only mid and small cap because it's mostly everything else than those handful of index stocks that are really holding ground uh, and so if that's the broad based selling you're seeing uh, i can't think of a better name than distribution uh, but if you're still very hopeful you'd want to call that a capitulation uh, but i think this kind of volume selling uh, uh, is really not an indication of uh, you know capitulation that should be over in a day because it requires a lot of absorption uh, and so unless the trend really changes i wouldn't be betting on it and like i said with the other headwinds that we are seeing uh, from currency and bond markets Uh, the total nutshell uh, uh, still continues to look as a big negative for markets going forward so one of the articles that i actually shared out uh, this week uh, which was uh, quite interesting uh, was uh, one from uh, ankleshwar ayer the economist uh, the editor of uh, the economic times and he usually writes his this piece uh, in the times of india uh not uh, not always on uh, economic thoughts sometimes even uh, of the impact of you know uh, economics on politics which is what this uh, particular note was about but i always take away uh, the uh, economic points and uh, he went on to highlight essentially a lot of what i had been writing about that uh, the trends in data uh, whether it's macroeconomic gdp interest rates inflation Uh, and uh, employment all of these data points that have been coming month after month uh, continue to feel like an economic winter he called it and uh, called it that it feels like a depression if you look at the data uh, but that's not uh, what was really having an impact on the election outcomes at least so far as the states are concerned now naturally uh, that's not how the public thinks they don't really think so much about these uh, data points uh, even though they are going through ups and downs they just simply look for hope and hope is what drives their uh, choice of who they end up voting for so we can't really make a prediction based on data in terms of which way the vote will go but what i really liked is uh, an acknowledgement from uh, the economic side that uh, all of the data feels like you are in a depression even though the markets may not be reflecting it yet and that's the biggest argument against doing this kind of analysis is that uh, macro takes its own time to reflect on markets but when it does 
then that's all that matters and i think we have uh, come very close to that point we saw a mild reflection of that in august uh, despite weakness in the currency and bond markets uh, in august of this year our market did not react but in september it gave up almost everything it, that it had tried to add up and so we are in a similar situation now with the only difference that despite multiple attempts the nifty is failing to get above the 11000 mark but uh, the data points are all there Uh, and so the big argument between bulls and bears is will we make that spike above 11000 or not and in my head uh, even if you do how far are you going to really go if stocks are falling off a cliff if the inr is falling off a cliff if the bond market cannot take the pressure anymore then definitely you can't keep running on uh, the nifty stand alone on the back of a couple of stocks and the thing is that uh, what an economic winter really means on the credit side is that credit does not grow for different reasons one of them is that borrowers don't want to borrow and lenders don't want to lend and that makes more sense because it's extremely an emotional or psychological decision most of the uh, borrowers don't want to borrow because they cannot see growth or they cannot see how they will get a return on investment Uh, let apart the idea that they are already under debt so do you expect the same borrowers to borrow again and start setting up new capacities the same guys who are still stuck in a, in previous debt or are you looking for new businessmen to come up and start new businesses in which case the banks would have to really be able to make a judgment as to these new guys uh, who would uh, have the capability uh, to set up a business and provide that capaci- capacity addition and typically they always look for experience so how does that work uh, and then how do the banks get out to lending when at a time when the lender i mean the borrowers are getting downgraded you know you have credit rating agencies now slowly choosing to downgrade uh, different varieties of uh, debt and credit on a daily basis and in that environment banks would become more cautious to lend uh, and more pricey to lend which means they would actually want to raise rates so you'd start looking at something like an interest rate spread between the government bond yield and the private sector yields and that those yields will start expanding and once that happens uh, the credit spreads uh, which we don't usually measure at least in india the data is not so easily published because you don't have a deep debt market which openly publishes your uh, average uh, bond yields for the high yield credit Uh, but once you would look at those spreads you would be able to understand the underlying risk that corporate india faces from its high levels of credit that already exist in fact here's a takeaway the total debt to gdp ratio if i just take the first 6 months uh, of this year into account would be uh, closer to or above 165% and if that's the case just imagine that 65% of that would be government credit which means that non government credit has crossed 100% of gdp that's what you're trying to service and you are trying to grow against uh in the backdrop of uh, everything else so that's not an easy task which is why lending growth really requires confidence on both sides of the equation which might might not be so easy to come unless you really clean up the system first and that uh is more a deflation than an highly inflationary scenario but what uh, the uh Uh, creditors would really like the ones who've taken on the debt they would really like rates to go down or f- and for them to have uh, a little more lifeline to hang on uh, for many more years onto the debts that they've already taken uh, and maybe that's what the rbi would be under pressure to hand over uh, will it work uh, it would probably lead to a completely reverse situation uh, which many people say is not possible uh, but if you weaken rates too much you end up with a much weaker inr and it could actually hap- end up happening uh, having a completely reverse impact than what you initially imagined for all you know uh, it would end up creating a much higher level of inflation than 
we are ready or prepared to deal with and that in an environment where global interest rates had been rising all of last year maybe they're pulling back just now uh, but uh, uh, that might not necessarily uh, continue to be the case uh, which is why uh, you need to pay attention to these risks so we are two days away from knowing what the rate decision will really be uh, and i think not apart i mean apart from a one day spike based on what that event might do uh, in fact it might not even do that much uh, unless they can really get themselves to be over aggressive uh, and over cautious in terms of uh, you know changing the tide uh, but ahead of an election uh, are you going to be doing that or simply going to be concerned about the current uh, budget uh, expenses that you need to meet in which case uh, you'd like to keep the situation far more balanced than out of control lastly uh, before i uh, close uh, i've i was talking about the 10 year lag that india has uh, with us market so let me just uh, highlight that the 10 year lag is that the us economic summer occurred in the 1970s uh, and ended in early 1980s with a spike in interest rates and inflation and eventually that came under control which is what essentially happens at the end of a summer and once you get control on that uh, you end up with a period of prolonged low inflation and low interest rates which is what an economic autumn is on the back of consumption demand India started that situation only after the 1990s because interest rates and inflation bottomed uh, in the late 90s around 2000 to 2001 or you can say 98 99 uh, and after that you started getting a boom uh, in uh, India on the back of consumption uh, and in an environment where interest rates and inflation remained low for a prolonged period of time except for the spike that we saw uh, after the 2008 crisis because of our own economic stimulus so we've been through that and we are uh, approximately 10 15 years maybe lagging behind if you say the 70s and the 90s actually maybe almost uh, 15 to 20 years lag and if that's the case then here we are uh, from us having you know ended that cycle on an uh, average basis actually in 2000 we are 18 years uh, away from that so we essentially uh, heading into our own uh, credit cycle uh, uh, that the us faced way back then and that's where we are so th- this lag was there uh, in the summer and that lag is also there in the winter they've been through the process of trying to write down their credit and debt through 2008 uh, because they faced early issues in 2000 they cut rates they ended up with a bubble and then the ultimate collapse in 2008 so that entire process uh, they actually bailed out a lot of their banks and their banks have better uh you know uh, ratios than they did before as far as liquidity or leverage and risk is concerned uh, the real risk uh, the us faces is more from an economic slowdown that is a growth slowdown uh, than uh, uh, various other issues but as far as we are concerned we are just entering uh, a phase where we have to deal with our own debt and credit issues which they have already done they've already dealt with the banking sector once we have only barely getting Uh, started with dealing with it so that's where we are so there's that's the lead lag of 10 to 15 years between the us and india where we are behind on their cycle but within the same conductive economic uh, cycle as every other economy so that was one thing uh, the other one was that uh, what we did notice through uh, the last quarter uh, of uh, you know last year is that bond yields started to actually come down across the emerging market space which is why after the indian and us markets sold off you actually didn't see a much steeper decline in the emerging markets or in asia many of which had reacted in the first two to three quarters of 2018 because of the issue related to the emerging market currencies and the rising dollar 
uh, and uh, i'm not sure whether that trend is at an end one trend which is uh, you know starting to become a pressure point again clearly in my mind is that the dollar index has found support and is likely to move higher before heading lower again and so in near term there should be that dollar pressure coming back it's still not visible in the bond markets of the emerging markets but it's definitely become slightly visible i think in the last two days in a lot of the currency markets definitely in the usd inr so uh, Uh, that i think was one of the stimulants that has helped most of the em space actually not make new lows with the us and now actually rally back higher uh, as the us market is holding out uh, but uh, uh, that's a trend to really watch as to whether it will align with uh, the rest of the uh, trends that uh, i am uh, taking uh, note of especially the uh, dollar because i've also covered i think recently the Uh, em uh, currency index and that index is pulled back to the fourth wave of its previous uh, decline which is a typical point where uh, you know markets uh, face resistance and turn and if you do see another sell off in uh, the em currency pack then it would become a more uh, em ac- uh, across em event rather than only an india event uh, so that's one of the macro risks to really keep watching in the weeks ahead so with that i'll end this note uh, we look forward to what happens over the next two days uh, most of my indicators continue to point uh, to weakness ahead whether it's from the currency markets or stocks when will the index give up the big question uh, remains on the edge uh, but i really wonder how long you can continue to play this game when 80 to 90 percent of the stocks are declining uh, the pressure from all of that is eventually going to hit the nft sooner than later that's all in this update thank you